Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Roy Wood Jr. Welcome to Beyond the Scenes, the podcast where we address issues that were originally talked about On The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, I sit down with correspondents, producers, writers, anybody I can get my hands on to break down a lot of these issues. Today, we asked the question, how racist is Boston? In 2018, I sat down with some people from the Boston Globe, some people from the NAACP. I even put on a wokey walrus costume to really get to the bottom of the issue because I don't know if you've heard or not, but Boston's got a little bit of a problem with race. Here's a clip. So one study we found showed that the median net worth of white families in Boston was $247,500. Compare that to the median net worth of black families in Boston, which was $8. Eight, like counting in thousands, like $8,000? No, just eight, $8. $8, that's, that's not even a grande soy latte. Spotlight wants to know why black enrollment at many of Boston's universities hasn't really gone up in 30 years or why there's so little diversity in boardrooms and hospitals, or how among eight major cities, black people voted Boston the least welcoming to people of color. All right, so today we're going beyond the scenes with Daily Show field producer CJ Hunt, and later we're going to be joined by Boston NAACP president Tanisha Sullivan. But first, CJ, how are you doing, brother? Uh, Boston original. Uh, were you born and raised in Boston? Uh, how long were you there? I was born in Worcester, uh, and then uh, I was raised for for a while in Boston. I still can't pronounce that word, Worcester. Worcestershire. 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 Yeah, that's that's exactly it. That sauce tastes like me trying to pronounce it. So we haven't had many field producers on the show yet because y'all are always out doing stuff in the field and it's it's an interesting job because you know as a field producer you all are kind of helping to put all the pieces together the visuals the writers kind of hand you an idea you all help to kind of craft what the concept will be as well and then you're out the door with the cameras trying to figure this out i guess first thing i'll ask you out the gate um i know this piece wasn't my idea Because I know as a black person, I would have never pitched, hey, let me go to Boston as a black man and ask everybody if it's racist or not. So how did this piece all come about? Also, not my idea. Uh, As a black man (laughs) who looks like a Mexican man, um, I who was grew up in Boston, I know how racist it is. This isn't this isn't a question a lot of black folks are asking, you know, numerically, how racist is it? It's just, it it is more an intuitive piece of knowledge. But I think that question came to the piece because um, this was actually my first piece on the show. It was the spring of 2018. Um, You know, I had just met you. You were the first person I met on the show. And they were like, okay, how would you like to go out with Roy? Here's a piece we have cooking. The piece originally was about Michael Che. You know, he had been, he had said on SNL, you know, I'm like the... Patriots were versus the Falcons for the Super Bowl. And Michael Che was like, hey, I'm excited to see the blackest city beat the most racist city I've ever been to. So the piece originally was supposed to be about how Bostonians felt about Michael Che shitting on their city. Oh, he's always taking shots at them and they're always mad at Che. Yeah. They're always mad at Che. And yeah, it's it's his Staten Island, I guess. So it was uh, it was about that. And um, also they were changing the name 
of Yaki Way, which was, you know, named after uh, a Red Sox uh, manager who, you know, kept them from integrating. So originally the piece was supposed to be about that. And then very quickly in pitching to Trevor, he was like, nah, y'all gotta, y'all gotta change the question. It's one of those pieces that I enjoy because we go out the door with a single question we're attempting to ascertain. We're simply trying to find out how racist is it? And so we, oh, here's a little uh, beyond the scene. You want to go beyond the scenes, motherfucker? Yeah, bring them on. Um, we shot all of this in one day, which <laughs> isn't the norm. But when we started putting the day together, it kind of made sense. And so I, I remember, you know, we went over, we went over to Roxbury um, in, in Boston, the black side of town, if you don't know. And we spoke with black people over there. Then we went over to the Boston Globe and we spoke with some of the NAACP people. And then we went over to Fenway to start doing Man on the Street and just kind of talking to laymen, um, you know, that were out and about. The thing that was so visible to me right away by the end of the day was just how oblivious some people were to what's going on. I, I, I distinctly remember us asking one person, you know, is there racism? She goes, well, I've never seen it. I don't see that racism myself, honestly. No, I don't think Boston's a racist city. I don't think Boston is a racist city at all. So how do you know? Yeah. I don't feel it. As if that's the only way it can be confirmed is you must see it and experience, or you must witness a black person getting kicked out of a store, the cops beating his ass, to believe that it's real. And I, I thought that that was kind of disheartening in a way. Um, why why do you think Boston has this reputation as a racist it's the, city? It's also the best part of the piece to me. You know, you, you ask that old couple, you know, this old white couple outside of Fenway, do you think Boston is a racist city? And what I love about watching you work is the questions are so basic. You know, you're just asking person after person, you know, like, do you think it deserves this rep? And they say, you know, I don't think Boston is a racist city. I, I don't see, I don't see it. I've never felt it. And the idea is like, when would you have felt it, <laughs> sir and ma'am? <laughs> you know, you, you like seventy-year-old white people. When would someone have been racist to you? So, but, but I do think that that's, you know, this was two thousand eighteen. That's how people then, and some people still now think about racism. It's like. You know, if someone's not shouting the N-word at me or I don't see it happen on a train, that's the only type of racism that can exist. So I love that that's the part of the piece people comment most about it in the comments about, damn, when this this couple says this thing. And I think, you know, most Bostonian, most white Bostonians and most white people in America, I think still think if I don't feel it personally, then it doesn't exist. You being from that area, right? Clearly, you felt it growing up as a yeah. black-looking Mexican man, <laughs> as a Mexican-looking black, as a as a Filipino as a, Negro. Yeah, as a Filipino <laughs> Latinx black man-looking man. How did it feel? Because you could feel that, and you know that's real. And then to be able to come back home with a camera and a correspondent and security, lots of security. Yo, we always yeah, no, roll we had, security. Had, Run had, up had if that. you want. Shout out Get to your security. Last beat. Um, Shout out to security yelling, who wants this? Um, that <laughs> I, I, <laughs> we had a real confrontational security guard. <laughs> You're asking questions in the background, you hear security, try it, try it. Come on, come on. <laughs> uh, I, okay, I don't want to say it felt like vengeance, 
but it felt vindicating to come back to Boston and then in a place I grew up, you know, asking this question with a camera because, you know, I think white Bostonians who I know, some of their reaction was, oh man, are you really gonna do that? Come on, like, give us a break. But black Bostonians I know and who grew up with were like, yeah, okay, finally, you know, like, I don't think, I don't think there are a lot of black Bostonians who react to the reputation like, oh my God, I don't know why the media's hung up on this. Are we asking this question again? It's more just like, yeah, we, we already know that, you know, like I grew up real bougie. I grew up in boarding schools because my parents were like, uh, get out of the house. Um, but you know, that the type of racism there was not like walking through Southie at night type of racism. Like the racism there was, okay, everyone, it's Friday. We have to have another meeting about who wrote the N word in the mirrors in the bathroom. Like that was a very <laughs> common, <laughs> the, the amount of meetings that we've had, I had in middle school and high school for who wrote the N word somewhere is, is so high. And then also the middle school I went to, in the dorms, people would just regularly use the word tar baby. Like, don't be a tar baby about this thing. So it's kind of like, Jeez, you know, Boston. bougie white people Oof. racism. Like my father's a Massachusetts governor. We are a lineage of captains type, type. Uh, <laughs> yacht. Uh, like, yes. Yacht boat, boat shoe racism. <laughs> yeah, it's a separate piece racism. A little bit Holden Caulfield style racism. Nantucket racism. <laughs> Describe to me a little bit of that process of as a first time field producer at that time, sitting down with Trevor and just going like, what was that like? Like throwing your ideas at Trevor and just going, hey, man, this is what I think I want to do. Is it OK? Or was it look, I'm from there. The writing inward on the mirror. I know how to handle this. <laughs> I, I don't know. You remember the way we used to pitch in that big room? in the big conference room with Trevor. Yeah. Like we have since figured out at the Daily Show like a much more efficient way about like bro, here's a paragraph, you know, I'm going to email it to you, tell us what you like and then we can talk about it. But there was a time when all of the field producers and the whole field team would go into a conference room, you know, so like we're talking like 20 20 plus people and sit in a conference room while Trevor's eating lunch and we would just almost as if it was like a game show, like try to stand up and pitch our entire pieces to him. Um, and it, this was during that time. So I, I pulled up the original pitch uh, and I wanna read a little bit of it to you. So it came to me and it was supposed to be, okay, this is gonna be an antiques road show uh, about uh, all the racist sort of signage and things Boston still had. And that didn't make a whole lot of sense. So this is what I wrote and imagine like sitting across from Trevor as he eats pasta and reading this from a page. Okay, this is called By the Numbers, How Racist is Boston? Here's the log line. Boston plans to change the name of Yaki Way, a street next to the stadium where the Red Sox play. The street is named after the racist team owner, Tom Yaki, AKA the Robert E. Lee of baseball. The removal is a rare acknowledgement of Boston's racist past, but how racist is it these days? Roy Wood Jr. sets out to answer this question, not with anecdotes, but with the numbers as loud and as clear as Tom Yaki's thoughts on miscegenation. This is the first in By the Numbers, a special investigative wing of TDS that sets out to answer questions we never thought to count on. How fucked is the VA and how bad is Flint's water? Trevor, like it was me reading that whole thing. And imagine that for every 
field producer. It's like the most gut wrench. I don't even want to hear me read that now. <laughs> and it's funny because it's not that Trevor's not listening. He's processing all of it. And then he comes out on the other side and goes, here's what you need. Just ask how racist is Boston. And then you're sitting there like, whoa, brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. You but, fixed the pitch. Uh, yeah, and you're like, so none, of the, so none of the other stuff. But I think, you know, he... He, that is one of his great gifts. He would sit there and listen to all of that paragraph that I just read and go, what is the story? And I'd go, well, I, well, I just read mm -hmm. it, you know, the Robert E. Lee of baseball and the thing about um, Yaki and, you know, and he would just go, no, what, tell me in one sentence, what is this story about? And I think that that was a big education for being in those rooms of, oh, damn, yeah, like, why are we trying to impress you with all these jokes and all of these bits like you just want to know the thing? And the thing that he boiled it down to for us was, okay, so Spotlight, the ones who exposed the Catholic church sex scandal, they're asking how racist is Boston? How do they measure that? And then that became the piece of, yeah, how do you measure that? Before we go to break, uh, real quick, because you, you talked about having so much stuff and having all these different concepts. I distinctly remember saying that we need a race like progressive like desegregation needs a mascot i did not know you all would put me in a hot ass wokey the walrus costume mm -hmm. for three fucking out i don't even know if then I why did curse, you but then why did you say it fucking if you hours. don't want if you don't want us to make brilliant things why did you say it I didn't think you all would actually put me in the costume. I thought we would just hire somebody locally to walk around in a walrus outfit. And I go, I'm here with Wokey, like McGruff the crime dog or Smokey the bear, but y'all put me in the damn thing. I felt like most people took well to the walrus. I think it, it made it more inviting. It disarmed the moment because you're trying to talk about race at a ballpark. People are here to ha be happy mm -hmm. and have a good time. And it, hey, pardon me, would you like to talk about your views on racism here in the greater Boston metro area. But I'm in a walrus outfit, so you feel safe. And yep. I feel like that helped get us a lot more interviews. Who's got the best baseball? Boston! Who's got the best football? Boston! Who's number one in creating a system where structurally black people don't always get the same opportunities? Boston! It's working already. Uh, before we go to break, what were some of the things that did not make it in the piece that you wish did make it in the piece? I have one. One thing that one thing that I can see in the piece, I have written in the piece, Act 2, Roy sets out to do his own test by setting up a Can I Date Your Daughter booth in South Boston. What? Uh, th like this is what I am a new as a new employee Whoa. am telling like Trevor as he eats his pasta as we pitch. <laughs> so then we're gonna have Roy go to South Boston and have a booth. It's like the it's like the beginning of like Die Hard with the Vengeance. It's like if we want Roy to stay alive, we have to do half of these bits. So that was one. And then my favorite one was you were walking around with like a Geiger counter uh, that we called a negrometer. Uh, that was supposed to measure how racist an area was or how racist a person was. And we got like a dude Ghostbusters. It and was I walk exactly around that. like with the EKG thing that the, the, we, we have emails of, we have this props genius named Shabbat and he, the emails I sent to him are pictures of that Ghostbuster machine being like, we need this buffer racism. 
All right, let's take a quick break. When we're back, we will be joined by Boston NAACP president Tanisha Sullivan. This is Beyond the Scenes. It's going to be a good time. Worcester. 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 That's it. Okay. How racist is Boston? Was the question that we posed to a lot of black folks over in Roxbury. We posed it to some white folks over there by Fenway Park. And we posed it to this woman who is joining us now. She is the president of the Boston NAACP chapter. Tanisha Sullivan, welcome to Beyond the Scenes, first and foremost. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here with y'all today. We just just a couple of black folks talking racism, you know. That's all. No, no big thing. Just a just regular day of the week for hey. us, pretty much. I'm also happy because we've been trying to get you back, but it's a hard thing to be like, okay, this person's gonna come back to the Daily Show. But you were so good when we first interviewed you. I'm excited you're back. No, I appreciate <laughs> being back. Look, and especially to talk about this, and especially to talk about this topic now. I'm excited to be back. So. So before we get to your opinions about the piece that we did three years ago, oh my God, it's been three years. I am I know. getting old. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I first that. want to ask you a little bit just about your work. What were some of the things and circumstances in your life that got you to where you are to make that decision to not only, because it's one thing to join NAACP, but you was like, hey, let me run it. Give me the keys. <laughs> And let's start figuring this out. So just walk me through your relationship with the city of Boston and Mm -hmm. why this is a cause that matters to you, you know, beyond 40 hours a week, it seems. Mm, Well, it's 40 plus, you know, so I'll start there. (laughs) You know, what a lot of people don't know, but seriously, because what a lot of people don't know is that um, at the local level, at the branch level, we are all volunteer operated, right? So we have like another job. Right. So it's this is this is the second full time job, um, which, you know, really, I think, does speak to um, the need for some. There has to be something that drives you. I think you're right. Like there has to be something within you that drives you to someone to want to do this work because it is hard. It's emotionally draining. It is deeply personal. And for me, it is it, it's really the influence of my parents. You know, I was born in Boston. I was raised outside of Boston. My parents are from Boston. My grandparents are from Boston. Um, but my dad, um, you know, he spent his entire career uh, working in the Boston public schools. Um, he started working in the Boston public schools in 1974, September of 1974, um, when uh, desegregation in, in Boston was being implemented, forced uh, busing. Many people remember those images that really rocked the nation and certainly rocked our city to the core. And my dad, his job was to ride the buses um, with the black kids from Roxbury into South Boston um, and to make sure that they were cared for and protected um, at a very tumultuous time in our city. And um, he chose for almost 40 years to stay in the district. He moved from being um, a bus monitor. And and I should say, my dad, he, he got that job after graduating from Boston College. And so he moved on from being a bus monitor to when he um, retired from BPS, he was the school leader at 
the John D. O'Brien School of Math and Sciences, which is one of the most prestigious schools um, in the Commonwealth. And so education was always spoken highly of in our home. And more importantly, it was education plus um, really a, a, a commitment, a responsibility um, to ensure that we were doing all we could to ensure equal access um, for everyone to a quality education. That's incredible for me to hear because my dad was, you know, in undergrad in, you know, during the busing crisis. And he I I grew up with him talking about stories of watching folks throw bricks at black school children through the windows of these buses. And the idea that your dad, his legacy is being on the inside of that bus, mm -hmm. not just, oh, I was black in Boston and saw this happening, but I was the one trying to keep these kids safe. I mean, that's an incredible legacy. Yeah, it's it is. selfless. It's selfless in the sense of at a time where it really wasn't safe for any black folks, he was volunteering to protect some of the most vulnerable mm -hmm. black folks. Like mm -hmm. That's which which rolls me into the second question that we traveled to your city to attempt to answer, which is how racist is Boston, which which mm -hmm. which I also love, CJ, is that we didn't. The question was never is Boston racist? Like we already know that. We already <laughs> yeah. have okay, the but data. we're talking about degrees here. Though. How? How racist? So, Tanisha, mm -hmm. has Boston earned that reputation in the sense, like, because you think about the South, why? Why is it such a surprise to people about Northeast racism? Hmm. You know? Because yeah, I mean, because we project uh, in the Northeast, in New England, we project, you know, a really a liberal and a progressive banner, right? Like we, we really pride ourselves on, um, on being progressive and having progressive values and being inclusive. Um, and so when people are confronted with the contradiction of, you know, kind of the, the values that we espouse and, and quite frankly, some of the issues that we've led on. I mean, you think about like marriage equality, you know, Massachusetts led on that, you know, healthcare um, for all, right? Um, Massachusetts led on that, right? But when you um, kind of look at the contradiction of these progressive and liberal values on some social issues, and then you look at really how, um, what the data says about, you know, racial equity in Boston, people are just, they scratch their heads and they're like, how could that be? Because you've gotten so many other things right. How come you're not getting this one right? Right, right, this piece right. And I'll say, I think a lot of it really does go back to um, the racial strife that that we experienced here in the city. Certainly um, what the nation saw was, you know, through force busting here in Boston. That history, that trauma, we've never really dealt with here in the city. Like we've never really, we've never really had like truth and reconciliation on that issue. And you can still feel um, the trauma and the the division in the city. It's palpable. It, Even it, post-George Floyd. Even post-George yeah. Floyd, you still, yeah. Boston still has this reputation for being a racist place. 
it, it does. But, you know, I have to say, you don't have to defend my city, you know, because I, you know, Boston, I do believe is one of the greatest cities in our country. And, you know, there's so much opportunity here and there's so many good things about Boston. Um, but yet we still struggle with racism like many other cities. But I would, I, you know, I think admittedly, we are uniquely positioned as a city um, with all of the resources that we have here to tackle the issue, and yet we have not. You know, I think Roy is kind of is pushing in this territory, but it's, you know, what I find funny about the question in Boston is how allergic folks are even to the question of, yeah. is this a racist place? How racist is it? You know, you talk about mm -hmm. New York, and you're like, those people in New York are assholes. And people are like, yeah, that's fair. But if mm -hmm. you even suggest that you're wondering how racist Boston is, people are like, how dare you? You know, even mm -hmm. Kyrie recently is, you know, all he said was the subtle racism. He, he just said subtle racism, and people are like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it's like, hit him with a water bottle. I mean, it's not my first time being an opponent in, in Boston. Uh, so, you know, I'm just looking forward to competing with my teammates and, um, you know, hopefully we can just keep it strictly basketball. You know, there's no belligerence or any racism going on, subtle racism and people yelling shit from the crowd. He didn't say these people are bigots. He was just like the subtle racism and people are like, how dare you suggest yeah. that there's subtle racism? Do you feel like that allergy to talking about Boston's history, do you feel like folks are less allergic now than they were because you, you look at this piece when we look back at this piece it feels so 2018 it feels so pre it, it is a conversation with folks who you know, it, it is so clearly even talking about how detailed the piece has to be about talking about structural racism and educating the audience on what structural racism is D do you feel like folks have more tools now or do you feel like that allergy is yeah, the same yeah like that how's is the conversation now, I know that there's been some improvement, CJ, I don't know if you knew this or not, but Bobby Brown got his own street in Boston, finally. <laughs> in, on, talking to, speaking of progress, finally. Racism solved. You know, we Racism got the Massachusetts solved. 54th Monument and we got that Bobby Brown So dedication. other than Bobby Brown way, in what ways has the conversation evolved? <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think you know, y'all, listen, um, everybody loves New Edition and everybody loves Bobby Brown. So, you know, so that is yes. progress. Um, you know, but I love your framing of this, CJ, right? Like, it's an allergy. I, I, I think of it similarly. It, like, this is... This this is there's something like really deep and um, systemic about it. Right. And, yeah. and, and in so many ways, like I feel like we have to or we should be, you know, tackling the issue like we would, you know, a disease. Right. Yes. Like the disease that it is. Right. That said, I, I, I will you know, I do want to acknowledge that. Last year in particular, we did have more people. um in the city who were like, oh, is that what y'all experience? Like, is is that <laughs> is is that what you've been talking about? You know, and and That's and good. so right, so there were, you know, I think um, you know, not an insignificant representation of the community that that did have some light bulbs go off um and for a period of time were deeply committed to wanting to talk about racism but even then real talk like 
they wanted to talk about racism as it related to policing. Right. Mm. You know, once we said, <laughs> look, we're going to do policing reform here in, Bo- in the city of Boston. Yeah. And we're going to do policing reform in Massachusetts. But understand that this is just the beginning of the conversation. If we're really if you're really serious about um, helping us now to dismantle this racism that you just now come to understand exists, then we need to have a conversation about economic inequality. We need to have a conversation about mm-hmm. inequities in education that are significantly impacting black and brown kids year after year after year. We have to have a conversation about why it is that the COVID-19 pandemic disproportionately impacted black and brown people and low-income people. And it's not because we're more susceptible to the virus it's because of the conditions that we are that that we've been forced to live in it's because of the the, the, the neglect of our healthcare system as it mm-hmm. relates to our uh, as it relates to our physical and mental well-being right and people are like oh this isn't just about policing no yeah, it's not the moment <laughs> you, you go okay well we're going to talk about racism let's break it down you know let's 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 talk about boston's role in the slave trade and put that in the textbook no <laughs> No. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. talking about putting it in the history book? Like it's like it's almost like fixing racism is when you take your car in and you only want to get a tire. That's all you want to fix is the tire, <laughs> the police tire. And then they and run then the, the diagnostic. Come back. <laughs> Hey man, we ran the diagnostic, man. You got some homeowners inequity. Right. You got bail reform. You got a little bail reform acting mm-hmm. up underneath your catalytic converter. We got mm-hmm. some you got some structural racism and unemployment. They didn't know. That's right. The tire. Just the tire, fix please. That's the all tire. we want to fix. So after the break, I want to talk a little bit more about some of those tires and diagnostics that have been going on in your city that you all have been starting to check and have been starting to change. Because in defense of your city, we're going to talk about some of the good stuff that's going on over there. We're going to talk about some of the good things that's been making moves over there. So yeah. uh, it's my pleasure to be joined by the president, the most esteemed Madam President of the Boston NAACP, Tanisha Sullivan. More with her when we go beyond the scenes one more time. And you too, CJ. You all right. Madam Sullivan, we were talking in the previous break about some of the strides that Boston has made, you know, since 2018, since the racial awakening that we had as a country in 2020. I'm so tired of people using the, the, the dialogue that we had and we've had a dialogue. And, and so since that time, we, we're going to give credit where credit is due with the city of Boston and some of the things that they've done to try and turn the page. Mm-hmm. Bobby Brown got a streak. The Celtics hired a black head coach this year. So you got a brother back at the helm with the Celtics. CJ, am I, is that everything? I think that's it. Am I missing any of them? Oh, you guys have, you, y'all have a black mayor now? Oh, we yes. Do. Yes. Yes. Okay, yes, there yes, it is. Yes. You know. Wait, no, wait. Oh, yeah. Not just a black mayor. We got a sister. We got, we got a sister. Yep. We got a sister. Yep. Okay. Um, so uh, with the election of, uh, of Joe Biden, he actually, um, he nominated our 
uh, our former mayor, Marty Walsh, to be Secretary of Labor. And under our charter here in Boston, the city council president becomes acting mayor um, if the mayor vacates his or her office. Um, and our city council president is a black woman. And um, so she is now our acting mayor. And Kim one, yes, Kim Janey. That's exciting too, because in it the is. spotlight piece that we had, you know, as part of this field piece, one of the spotlight things that they were saying is Boston has never had a black mayor, unlike all never. of these other places. So that right. must feel great. So it racism is. solved, right? No, no, not, yet. Done. <laughs> not yet. Um, but, you know, but it's good, right? It's it's great to um, to have her in the seat. We actually have a mayoral election this year and the six leading candidates at this time are all people of color. Um, four of them are women. Um, and so it is highly probable that wow. Boston will elect um a it will we will elect a person of color and that we may also elect a woman uh to be mayor we've never had a, an elected woman mayor either so so you've had a black mayor sneak in and now you'll get one the legitimate way as well to listen. really cement it <laughs> listen no. you know but it, but but it's reflective of you know again on the progress side since we were last together um we have the most diverse city council that we've ever had um, in the history of the city of Boston. And so some of the issues that the city council um, has tackled um, over the past couple of years have really spoken to the ideological evolution of our city, specifically on issues of racial justice and racial equity. Um, this year, two of our counselors, Councilor Mejia and Councilor Bach, um, have introduced um, the conversation on reparations uh, to, to talk about the role of Boston in the slave trade. We know that, you know, People often talk about the enslavement of black folks primarily in the South, although we know here in Boston um, that black folks were enslaved as well. But we also mm -hmm. understand that Boston um, played a significant role in helping to finance uh, slavery in this country, right? And so, um, so really pushing the conversation on issues of racial justice and racial equity here in Boston um, has been a positive outgrowth of a more diverse city council. How, how much in reparation? What are we talking here? Now? Is this for Boston, current Boston residents of how long? Like when I went mm -hmm. to college, like when I was at FAMU, you had to be living in state for a year to be eligible for in-state tuition. So to be eligible for the Boston reparation initiative, as I'm yeah, going to yeah. call it. What's right the baseline? Now. Well, we're gonna we'll see, we'll see. We're gonna we're gonna dive into the conversation. We're gonna dive into the history, um, you know, and understand the impact of 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 slavery uh, in Boston today. And then we'll see what reparations might, what the repair might look like. But mm -hmm. you know, so so often when we talk about reparations, people go right to well, what's the dollar number? What's that number? Before we get to the number, I'm just saying, before we get to the right. number, we really like we've got to unpack this thing so that we can understand where the roots are of 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 this very um, significant problem stain um, on our society so that we can then see how it's manifesting itself today. You know, and then we can talk about what it will take to repair, because that's what reparations is. It's repair. It's helping to repair. It's kind of like when you fight with, 
you know, someone you're in a relationship with and they're like, okay, what do I, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to get you to stop talking about it? You're like, no, we still need to talk about what you did mm -hmm. in order to talk about what is owed. Mm -hmm. If you're going to have a meaningful conversation about reparations, you got to be willing to get to the root. And those are difficult conversations. And when you talk about a place like Boston, you know, it's going to require us to do a lot of self-reflection um, that can be, might be painful. But if we want to move forward um, beyond celebrating having a black mayor, um, we, we have to be willing to lean into those conversations. So off of the black mayor thing, you know, this is what I've noticed, and I call it the empire striking back, for lack of a better phrase. For all the good stuff that happened politically yeah. on the behalf of candidates is benefiting black folks, it's been a lot of laws that they're trying to start passing and sneaking under the table mm -hmm. to make sure that these good times don't keep rolling at midterms. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit about what's happening in Boston now on the heels of Kim Janey being, I guess, appointed mayor, mm -hmm. where now, if you're in city council, you can't even be mayor, don't even think about it. Yeah, so, you know, we do see backlash. And this is, you know, I think, um, you know, it's it's like the civil is there such a thing as civil racism? I don't know. We're going to make that up, right? It's, it's like, I like that. It's like, I like that. You know, polite it's like, racism. It's polite racism. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's By not really racism. racist, but, you know. Um, we're civil about racist? it. We're civil you about it. That's Boston racism. It's just like, yeah, you have this diversity council there. doing all of these great things that you claim right. are helping all of the people, and now you're telling me and, none of these people can ever aspire to do something more for the city? Well, you know, the, what, what's what's interesting is so a few weeks ago, the city council decided that since since the uh, the city council president is elected by the members of the city council and the acting mayor is only acting mayor because she is, uh, you know, the president of the council, they uh, voted for the first time in our history. Right. They voted now all of a sudden to give themselves the right to remove her from her city council presidency, which would thereby remove her as acting mayor. You know, I, I find it, you know, it's so interesting that after, mm. you know, how many hundreds of years, right, now, um, now they need to make it clear to everybody that they have the power to take her out of the office. And, you know, even if it were a legitimate position to have, you know, those types of actions, you know, as a black woman, Right. Those types of actions in a moment like this absolutely give me pause. And and I think they should give all of us pause because that's the stuff that those are the micro aggressions. I mean, that's a nice way to put it. Right. Not that's even the, micro. Right. 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 I was like, <laughs> you know, like like that's the stuff. Like, why would you do that? You know, except to send a message, you if know, except to send a message. If it's a law, it is not a microaggression. Right. That's a right. law. You know, I mean, did right, they CJ. did they even try to hide it? Were they like, no, oh, they this was on the to-do list for a hundred years? It's not no, just in twenty twenty when we have a black man. No, they this did not. And in, no, they did not. And in fact, you know what they have been saying over the past few weeks is that they are just not pleased with you know um, how she's interacting with them. They feel like she should be having more conversation with them. She should, you know, they should know more about what she's doing, and you know all of these good things. And now I, I have to say, you know, these are issues and concerns that they've had with mayors in the past, right? But um, but to take this step, I, I just you know that one, I, I I just said, you know what, this is. It's shameful 
especially given um, the demographic makeup of, of the council at this time. There is so much joy in my heart for being able to talk to you today because the depths to which we've been able to go and explore this subject, this is why we go beyond the scene. I joke about the title, but like, this is why we go beyond because sitting with you for the actual field piece, which I hoped you watch. I hoped you liked it. I hope that we did you proud. Yes, in the edit. it was great. It was great. Okay. All right. What if we cool, got cool, to this cool. point and Tanisha's like, you know, I never seen it. <laughs> Listen, is it good? This, let me tell you something. There are a lot of fans out there for The Daily Show. I mean, I consistently get hit up. People are like, oh my goodness, I saw you on The Daily Show. I saw you on The Daily I'm like, oh okay, yeah, because people y- keep y'all? reposting the piece every time Boston trip up. <laughs> I have a question for you, Roy, of, you know, that is still one of my favorite pieces, not just because, you know, a white man outside Fenway is going, it's not racist because I don't feel it. Talk to me about what it feels what is happening in your head when you move from talking to folks who are saying racist things to you and you are being incredibly polite but managing to find the humor of of catching them showing themselves in that moment talk to me about what is happening for you when then you shift that lens and then approach talking to um black folks for me the thing i learned on the very first field piece i shot with Jordan Klepper, where we spoke with a cop who didn't believe that there was any real police harassment problems in this country. We spoke with an ex-cop. And I remember getting angry, like I was legit angry. Are police racist? No. It's good enough for me. I'm satisfied. We're good here. Are you serious? Yep. NYPD was whooping ass. Bo, Bo, look, Bo, I'm sorry, Bo. He knows about bias. Bo, he's new. The producer, Stu Mills, we stopped and took 10. He pretended that we needed to, oh, a camera battery, whatever. He put me out into the hall. He said, I'm just giving you this time to calm down. I know it's heavy, whatever, whatever. And what I learned in that moment is that if you get angry, it's not funny anymore. We're on Comedy Central. I am a comedian. My job is to find the joke. The viewer can handle all of the other emotions that will come with this. They don't need me to be the conduit for that. Also, if I'm getting angry, now you're not talking as much. You're going to close in or it's going to become a confrontation. Jordan Klepper is by far the master. Like to this day, I understand now why they paired me with him to go out and do that piece. Because if you just sit me there alone, it would just been a fist fight and a lawsuit mm-hmm. and I'm fired. But when talking to people who don't understand the issue if you just let them talk they're going the the funny is in how incredulously oblivious they are did i form a sentence like that thank you alabama public schools there's there's something though in talking with black people that there's no joke how outrageous the truth is is enough for most of us, I mean, when we sat and talked with the brother in the diner, I don't even think we used it. He was like, yeah, man, I'm moving to Atlanta this week. I can't take it here no more. I got to be around black folks. And this was a black person who was Boston through and through and was just like, nah, I'm checking out. There's opportunities down there. So he said, I'm going to start my business in Atlanta. So that was, you know, it, to me, CJ, to answer the question, it's just more about just having honest conversations about something that's so ridiculous and you talk to black people to get the truth and then you go across to Fenway to talk to people who have no clue what you're talking about 
And it's just, wow. Like, it's just one of those moments, you know? But I, I think that's what I, this isn't even a question, but just a comment of, that's what I love about watching you work. You know, like field producers, we just get to watch the correspondence running full speed. And what I, what I love about watching you work is you fight for these human centers and human moments to the piece. It's not just like, wow, they said some wild shit. It's like, now let's go over to the silver slipper restaurant in Roxbury and, and actually hear a moment of a man saying, you know, even if it can't make the final piece of like, I am this day figuring out how to move to Atlanta because I cannot take it here. And I think you fight for this human center for all of those pieces. Well, I try my best. And speaking of fighting for humans, Madam Sullivan, we thank you immensely for all the work that you're doing in Boston. I wish that we, you know, we need, we need another podcast that goes beyond, beyond the scenes. We need to go double beyond (laughs) and break down even everything else that we didn't even get to talk about today. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thank you so much for your work. Uh, Where can people support uh, the Boston NAACP chapter? Well, we're online, NAACPBoston.com. Uh, you can also find us on uh, social media. All right. Well, thank you so much. And CJ, you did something big this year, brother. You made a whole ass documentary about Confederate monuments and people who don't want them to be taken down. Yep. Where can just, to be cl- just to be clear, it's not an ass documentary. It is a whole ass documentary about... <laughs> Okay, so if you are coming for an ass documentary, that's another project I'm working on. This is about Confederate monuments. And the question Boston is asking, how, how racist is Boston? It is asking that of, you know, the white South and of the whole country. You can find it uh, right now on PBS for free. It's called The Neutral Ground. Um, and my executive producer, uh, you know, he's, he's okay. He's fine. Yeah, I've heard rumors about that guy. I heard he's yeah, kind of it's a Roy. jerk. It's Roy. Yeah, it's, Roy. it's me. I'm not a jerk. <laughs> well, look, that's all the time we have for Behind the Scenes today. Hope that you had a good time going beyond the scenes with us. We appreciate you so much for listening. On the behalf of everybody at The Daily Show, thank you. And listen to The Daily Show Beyond the Scenes on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Worst. Worst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a like the ocean. Worcestershire. Worcestershire. That's it. Want to go even further beyond the scenes? Check out the video version of Beyond the Scenes on the Daily Show's YouTube page.